0: Well, good evening, Redeemer. It's great to be with you all in this time uh, of worship, this time that we can be uh, coming before the living God. And as we uh, get started, we do want to offer a special welcome to uh, those that are visiting with us. If uh, you are new here and and just trying to get to know a few people, uh, one of the ways that we'd love to connect with you is just asking you to text the word welcome uh, to the number that's on the screen there uh, or using the uh, connect card that's in the uh, pocket in front of you. It's just a way that we can uh, know that you are with us this this time and uh, hopefully uh, share a little bit more about what our church is doing. Uh, If you'd like to know more, uh, we have our Redeemer Life uh, newsletter, which is near the Welcome Center, and that provides most of the information about the different activities that we have and love for you to check check that out. Uh, just highlighting that tonight is our special uh, Sunday evening of praise, and I'm uh, glad you can be here. We have our, our wonderful musicians. Not quite as much space for them yet, uh, but obviously uh, working very hard on, on this uh, refresh getting completed. We look forward to the time when we have all that is needed for, for our time of worship. And then following the worship service is our time of food and fellowship, and so we just love for you to stick stick. Stay after and uh, join us for that time around the table as we break bread together. And then uh, also just wanted to mention that uh, this Saturday is our Fall Fest, and uh, uh, more information in the bulletin about that. Uh, Dan just wanted me to know that uh, he's claiming uh, that he will uh, smoke everyone in the chili cook-off. Now, I didn't ask him if he's the judge, but... um, he said he's prepared. So if you have a great and awesome chili and you want to be a part of that, we'd love for you to be involved uh, with that particular uh, event. So that's, uh, oh, and then the last thing, if you were not in our Sunday school class to listen to Jim Sprague, we'd love for you to uh, still um, watch that uh, on our YouTube channel or on Sermon Audio. It was recorded and uh, it's an opportunity for you to Get what you missed and then share it with others. Just that little share button is just a great way to make friends, family, and others know what's going on in that particular situation with Prop 3. So, all right, let's take this moment now and prepare our hearts as we come to our God in worship. And yet we know from Scripture that we worship a Savior who can restore everything. And so the psalmist writes, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said, Among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them." Well, if you have a tongue to respond in song, let us stand and sing Oh, for a Thousand Tongues. Heavenly Father, we come with thankful hearts that you have provided this time, that you have reminded us in song, you remind us in scripture, you speak even to our hearts, reminding us that you can set the prisoners free. Lord, that we know that by nature we are bound uh, to sin and to evil, and we know that by the grace uh, that has come in the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his sin-atoning death, and his resurrection to conquer sin, death, and the devil. We come to celebrate your greatness. Lord, we declare how great thou art. Amen.
1: seated. We're just going to have a a short prayer of thanksgiving, so join me in a prayer of thanksgiving. Father in heaven, we come to you, and we are in awe, and we are here to give thanks, and Lord, we could never, ever exhaust the amount of time that it would take to give you thanks for all the ways that you have blessed us we uh, drive in today and we just see the beauty of creation and we know that you are a God of order in that fall follows summer and winter fall and then we can see spring again Lord we see your handiwork and everything around us we see your beauty in the sound of the music tonight of the singing and the songs and Lord we just can sense a glimpse of heaven when we can worship with each other when we can sing with each other when we can express our love and devotion to you for all that you've done for us some of these hymns lord are so old and yet they are so spiritually nourishing that when we sing them again and again they become more meaningful and the words even deeper and more impacting we're also thankful as we drive around this time of year when we see the farmers in the field and the crops coming off we're thankful for another year of abundance Uh, lord you have blessed this land with food and increasing abundance every year in amazing amounts we'd ask that you be with the harvest that it would go smooth and that the people would be kept safe as they work in the fields and they work under situations and circumstances that oftentimes are uncertain and dangerous we ask lord that our abundance would be shared with those in need help us to be a grateful and a giving community for all that you've done for us we're thankful as well for the work of the pregnancy resource center that we heard this morning lord and we are so uh... just distraught about the the condition and the situation that we face and the potential of this proposal that's in front of us and we're grateful for the work of the prc and other organizations and people who seek to educate us and to help us fulfill god's word in our lives and in the lives of our neighbors we're thankful for our pastors For the musicians for the singers that bring worship to us and help us worship you tonight and Lord we're thankful that you don't rely on us that you don't need us but Lord we are so grateful that we need you and that you are there for us that you have done it all for us that you have sought us out and brought us life and sight and we are grateful Lord for that be with us in the rest of the service Lord help us to Remember that we are singing for an audience of one and that you are the true Redeemer, that we give all praise and glory. In thy name we pray, amen. Please stand and sing, Take My Life and Let It Be.
2: seated. We have the opportunity tonight to pray for CEDE Sports and uh, Michael and Nina Schafsma, and I have a brief update from them, and then we'll bring some prayer requests to the Lord. So as many of you know, Michael and Nina Schafsma are serving with CED Sports in Italy, and recently they've been involved in many activities over this past summer. These activities took place in northern Italy and were in partnership with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. One exciting event, for example, was the Gospel Choir concert that took place in a local park. The choir was touring from Texas, and though they prayed for a group of about 100 people to show up, um, there actually were over 500 that were in attendance. Even though they were told by the local government they could not... um, evangelize or spread the gospel. Um, The attendees were told the choir participants were saved by Jesus and for this reason they could sing with joy. The concert was well received and God caused the government officials from the district to support and appreciate the concert and the associated message about Jesus. Another example is the kids event that Nina arranged where children from nearby churches invited their friends for a day in a park to worship and learn. During that event, over 70 children and their their families, many of their parents, were present, and all were exposed to worship, games, snacks, and the teaching about how to live a victorious Christian life and how to share their lives with others. Sadly, though, the situation between Michael and Nina's church and the local government is still at a standstill, and the local government um, is preventing them from much religious freedom. Uh, and the recent events took place in, because of this, the recent events took place in an area nearby and not in their their actual town. So let's now um, bring Michael and Nina and this organization before God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening with thankfulness for your servants Michael and Nina and for the work they're doing with CEDE in Italy. We thank you for their ability and desire that you've given them to to spread your gospel um, in to the lost in Italy. Lord, we pray that you would be at work to improve the relationship between their church and the local government, that they would have more freedom to operate in their local community. Lord, please give them strength and wisdom as they navigate this difficult relationship and soften the hearts of the local officials, if it is your will, to the preaching of your word. During this difficult time, Lord, we pray also that you would give Michael and Nina creativity as they look for new and innovative ways to reach the people in their community and their neighborhoods with the good news of the gospel. Lord, thank you again for the successful activities of this past summer and the other parts of the country, for the open doors that were available and for the spread of the gospel. Please continue to bless Michael and Nina and the others they serve with as they witness for you in Italy. In your name we pray. Amen. We'll now take the offering.
3: let's turn in our Bibles tonight to Ezra chapter 6. While you're turning there, if you choose to use the Bible in your pew or follow along behind me on the screen, just a short introduction to where we are in Ezra. Ezra is a book of return to the homeland of the Israelites after they were taken captivity by other nations and after they lived in rebellion against God. And so this is really If you can imagine a time when you were far, far away from home and you wanted nothing better to go back home, and the God who had promised to bring them home has brought them back to the land of Israel in Ezra, but there is a major problem, as we discovered last week, and that is they were prevented from rebuilding the temple. And so tonight when we pick up this story in chapter 6... The communication that has been sent to Darius now receives a response. So, Ezra chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Then Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in Babylonia in the house of the archives where the documents were stored. And in Ekbetana, the citadel that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found on which was written a record. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits and its breadth 60 cubits with three layers of great stone, stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury and also let the gold and the silver vessels of the house of God which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place. You shall put them in the house of God. Now, therefore, Tetanai, governor of the province beyond the river, Sherebanazi, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work in this house of God alone let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild the house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute to the province from beyond the river. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and, pay, <clears throat> and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also I shall make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a dunghill." May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out his hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. That according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozani, and their associates did with diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of those returned uh, exiles, celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they sent the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses." And the fourteenth day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover, for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel." And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them, so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. This is the word of our Lord. (laughs) After reading a passage like this, obviously, you're asking the question in your mind, as I am in mine, what is the point? Part of what we can do in answering that question is to simply retell the history of the story. And in this chapter itself, the story is rather obvious. It's a fascinating story. There's been a request sent to Darius in the previous chapter to stop the rebuilding of the temple. The search is made in the history and discovered that Cyrus had commanded the temple to rebuild And Darius sends a letter back now commanding the Israelites to rebuild the temple of God and that no one should prevent them from doing so. And in celebration, when the temple is completed, the Israelites celebrate the Passover. That's the history. But have you ever had your parents tell you a story and you just knew at the end there was going to be a point to that story? My dad used to tell me that kind of story about how he left home at eighth grade to work as a hired hand for a farmer. Interestingly, he would tell me that story when I would wake him up at 5:30 in the morning and tell him I was too tired to go deliver my papers on my paper route. He wrote, retold his story in order to help me understand where I was in life. And this story in chapter 6 is more than a recounting of history. It's a story being retold to help us understand our position in history as well. This is not, first of all, a story that is meant to say, if you don't succeed at rebuilding the temple, just try, try, try again. Instead, it is a story about what we would call the decrees of God. Some of you children in Sunday school learned about the decrees of God this morning, I hear. And tonight you're going to find out that those decrees are not just found in an instruction book that you learned from this morning. They are found in the Word of God. And as they are found in the Word of God, they function in a tremendously important way. What I'm going to tell you from this chapter is something very simple. That God's decrees are the hidden governing of God, of His grace in your life. So let me explain that to you as you look here with me at chapter 6. And I want to begin by looking at the way the author transitions from one section of this story to the next. At the end of this letter that Darius sends back to the people in Israel, we find these words in verse 14. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel, and by the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. You'll notice in this chapter, the first time that we hear about a decree is in verse 1, and the second time here is in verse 14. The first part of this chapter, the first, you might say, chapter in this book, is the decree at the beginning of the, of the chapter, the decree of the King Darius, and then in verse 14, the decree of God explaining his action in the letter that Darius returned to the Israelites. Now, what I want you to think about for just a moment is what, have been, what it would have been like to receive this letter from King Darius, You may know that King Darius at this point in history was a supreme. He was the sovereign. There was no one greater than him in any nation in the world. He was legitimately the most important person in the most important country that existed in the world. He is not the Darius that we find in the book of Daniel. That Darius was many generations before. This is a different Darius. In fact, it is believed that these People, these Assyrians, named many of their rulers Darius, just like we have another King Charles ruling in England. This Darius was not just the sovereign in his country, he was a sovereign in his world. And that power was not unique to Darius alone, no, that power as sovereign before had been exercised by Cyrus. And the key thing that I want you to think about tonight is that the power to issue a decree by a sovereign is really the key to understanding the events in chapter 6. And it may be difficult for us to understand how this sovereign would work in our world. For example... I am not sovereign in my world, as much as I might think that I am. I do not have the choice how fast I want to drive down Fulton Street through Ada. I most certainly cannot decide how much tax I'm going to pay to the state and federal governments. And I have no choice in regard to various rules that are imposed on me by our state, and especially by our local municipality. Those are not things I can control. A greater power than me imposes these rules on us. Many of them very good rules, helpful rules, so that our society is well organized. But the point is, I am not a sovereign. But the people of this time would have understood what a sovereign was. In fact, it is almost too easy to say, but it is true that whatever the sovereign determined to do in his world at this point was the law of the land. He had that much power. There was no law greater than Darius. Darius was the law. And because Darius was the law, he had the right to command that something was done and something would be done precisely according to his instruction. And therefore we find at the end of his letter in verse 12 that he says the temple should be rebuilt according to the command of Cyrus a generation before, and no one back in Israel had the right to to oppose him. What he said would be done. But I want you to see that the writer of Exodus does not leave things there. Again, he is telling this story for a point. When the temple and its rebuilding resumes, verse 14 says, there is a hidden hand behind the letter of sovereign Darius. There is a sovereign greater than sovereign Darius, and that is God himself. And the writer notes in verse 14 two reasons why we say this is true. First, he says, the rebuilding of the temple was through the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets. They spoke, and the Israelites prospered in the work that they did. These prophets were sent by God in order to encourage the Israelites. If you go back and read through the prophet Haggai, or rather in our edition of the Scriptures, you would go forward to near the end of the Old Testament. You would find that Haggai, his burden, was to encourage the Israelites to build to continue building. And the way that he did that was by pointing them to a future in which the temple they were rebuilding would anticipate the greater glory that was to come. It's sort of a motivation, I imagine. I have a friend who coaches football, and I imagine him sometimes saying to his, to his players, the practice that you invest in now might eventually lead to us winning a championship practice hard, do your best, there's a better future coming. Haggai is telling the Israelites that. You're not just building a temple, you're not just rebuilding a building, you're anticipating the great glory of God when it comes to earth. And the prophet Zechariah emphasizes something similar. He looks back first to the faithfulness of God he talks to the Israelites how their forefathers were helped by God. And if God helped them, he would help their forefathers, he would help them as well. And then Zechariah makes the same turn that Haggai does. He says, not only has God been faithful in the past, he will also be faithful to you in the future. And because God is faithful to you in the future, there is coming a time when God will reveal his glory in a far greater way then this temple we're building can ever contain. There is a temple still to come. He says a glory that will still be revealed. Your work now matters for the future. And in case you didn't catch it, let me explain it a little more clearly. What these prophets were doing was locating the Israelites and their rebuilding of the temple within the greater story of God's redemptive plan. What they were experiencing is not Darius's history, not simply his instruction. They were experiencing the powerful hand of God at work in their world. This is God's redemptive story. And the prophets encouraged them by saying, you're part of something much greater than yourself. Work and work hard because God is at work now for a future. And to emphasize that encouragement, it says in verse 14 that they finished building by the decree of the God of Israel. And that decree of the God of Israel was then worked out through the decrees of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes. You can see what a decree is within this chapter. There's the decree of a king who has power in his kingdom to bring something to pass. But the writer says really the hidden hand that was moving The heart of the king is the sovereign God of heaven and earth. He is issuing a decree. He is calling something forth. He is determining what happens in the present. Like I said at the beginning of this sermon, one of our children's Sunday school classes studied the question and answer from the shorter catechism. I see the teacher smiling. It's question and answer seven. In the catechism designed for children, it asks the question, if you're a child in this catechism question, feel free to speak this along with me. The question is, what are the decrees of God? And the answer is, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he has foreordained whatever is coming to pass. There is nothing the catechism is claiming based on stories like this that does not happen according to God's will. God is governing your life. It is not a random set of events that just happen to fall into place. The Israelites' rebuilding of the temple, even with the opposition to that rebuilding, was not absent God. It wasn't God sitting on the sidelines waiting for all the trouble to cease before he joined the action again. No, our God was at work both in the trouble and now in the success. He is busy in our troubles and our successes both. His decrees are that hidden hand governing what is happening in our lives. I just want to think for a moment with you what the alternative might be. Let's say that you say to me, Pastor, I'm not convinced by the word of God, this place or other places, that God's hand is really the thing that moves the events of history. In fact, how can you claim that? Aren't there other things that are more important than God or things that are next to God? How can we say that God controls all things? Well, let me ask you, my friend, if it is not God that controls all things, but there are other factors that can move God and change God's plan, then what is the meaning of the events in your life? How is it possible that your struggles as well as your joys are bringing you to a good end? If you believe that your suffering has purpose, and the Bible says your suffering does, the only way that suffering is possible is if the decrees of God, the hidden hand of God, working in every event, if that's actually true. And so, based on verse 14, I simply want you to see this important thing tonight. In our families, in our children, in our nation, in our marriages, in our health, Whatever it is in our lives that we think about, the sovereign of all the universe is bringing his will to pass. In that particular area of our life, there is none that escapes our God. But there is one other place in this chapter, again, that sort of brings together what is happening. Or to say it again, this story is being told with a purpose. And once the author tells us what that purpose is, to show us that God is issuing decrees, He is the God that stands above all of history, bringing this all together for an end. But now if you look in your Bibles to verse 22, you'll see the second place in which the author brings sort of a conclusion to the events. He casts a gloss on the events of history. It says, And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them, so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. If you remember back to what I said when I started the sermon tonight, I said God's decrees are as often the hidden hand governing by grace in your life. And I haven't said very much about grace up to this point, but here's where I want to speak about that grace. At the end of the chapter, after the temple has been rebuilt, the Israelites celebrate. And it's not just a feast, it's not just a party. They celebrate a particular festival called Passover. And then the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that was, was always attached to the Passover, together it would have been more than a week of celebration of what God had done. This place in the Bible is not the first we read about Passover. No, it's commanded to be celebrated based on the events of Exodus chapter 12. In that chapter, we read about the Israelites in captivity in the nation of Egypt and God through a whole series of powerful acts the ten plagues culminates in the final play, which is the sending of the angel of death. And the only way the Israelites and their households escape the angel of death is that God puts blood upon, they're called to put blood upon their doorpost. And it is through the blood of the lamb whose, whose blood is spread in the doorpost that the angel of death passes by their homes. And God uses that particular horrific event to lead the Israelites out of captivity into the wilderness and eventually to the promised land. To put it very simply for the Israelites, the celebration of the Passover was a celebration of release from slavery. It was the biggest Old Testament redemption story. When we think about redemption on the cross, the Israelites would have thought about redemption from the nation of, of Egypt. It was a redemption that anticipated the cross. Obviously, the cross is the conclusion. But the events that happened at Passover were that big in their mind. He would have stood as the archetype of the redemption that was to come in Jesus. And now the writer says, the people of Israel understood the connection between what had happened by the decree of God that is the rebuilding of the temple, and the celebration of the Passover that demonstrated God's grace. Or to put it this way, they understood that the same grace that was in operation in the Passover that led them out of slavery is the same grace that operated as the temple was rebuilt by the decree of God. That is, the decree of God operated from grace. He was not a random decree. It was not simply God imposing his will, although he certainly had the ability to do that. No, God was causing the temple to be rebuilt for the same reason he saved the Israelites in the Old Testament. It was because he had set his affection on them, he loved them, and he was treating them graciously. And do you know why they responded with joy? It wasn't simply that their project was finished and the temple was rebuilt. They were celebrating the operation of God's grace and His decree. He was gracious in them, saving them the first time in Egypt, and He had brought them back to the land of Israel by His grace, and He would remain at work in them by this same grace. Which leads me to simply say to you tonight as I began a few moments ago when I said, God's decrees are the often hidden governing of His grace in your life. And that is true not only in the Old Testament. It is also just as true for you. Paul says that we can be content because in all things, God is working those events of our lives for good which means even the most difficult times, when it seems as though the projects that we are working on for the sake of God are thwarted. God intends to bring good even out of those difficult times so that the grace that is in operation in our lives would be put on great display. Again, I tell you tonight, this simple truth And I tell you, not simply because I want your head to know it, but I'm hoping your heart will rest in it. God's decrees are the often hidden hidden governing of grace in your life. May you really mull that over and believe it. This sovereign God is at work in the events, all the events of your life by His grace for your good. That is your good news, friend. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you that this truth that we have heard from your Word is not just a story, it's a history. It's an account of what really happened. But the author not only gives us the raw events... He also helps us by explaining what those events mean. So that for each one of us as we listen tonight to this truth, we can be assured that in our lives the decree of God, that will, that sovereign will that you are bringing to pass in this world is not random. It is not without goal or intention. But just as certainly as you move the heart of the most powerful man in the world to do good for your people... You can just as certainly move in the circumstances and in the people in our lives to likewise do good for your people because of your grace. We rejoice in that tonight and pray that we would see the truth of this passage clearly and it would give us great comfort, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand up and join with me in singing? May that be true. Go with this blessing from your God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.